0: Hello, you're listening to the Mag Culture podcast, recorded right here in the Mag Culture shop, Clarkewell, London. I'm Jeremy Leslie.
1: And I'm Liv Sidor. Hello, Jeremy. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you, Liv?
1: Very good, thank you. What's been going on?
0: Nothing. <laughs> it's very quiet here. It's, it's August. It's summertime, but, you know, we're not being... Consciously slowing down on the posting on the journal, while we kind of have a rethink about a lot of things we're doing, we're not doing the an event in the events. There's a lot happening behind the scenes. We did a reader survey. Yes. So we've got all all the data. We know who everyone is, and we're hunting them down. And, oh my god. <laughs> um, no, it was <laughs> no. It's interesting, we, we, but but not particularly revelatory. It's a bit very international audience. People really committed to magazines. Hmm. Some interesting um, things, particularly towards what we might be posting when we kind of re really restart the journal come September. Cool. So, so, so did you
1: learn anything interesting about your um, readers?
0: I mean, I don't want to say no. <laughs> <laughs> because, that because of course, every single one of them is very interesting. But but overall, I think it just confirmed a lot of what we thought about how often people look at the website, what they want from the website. Mm. Lots of lovely... I mean, there was um, a lot of positive stuff from customers of the shop, of the online shop, talking about they've appreciated our shift towards more ecologically friendly environmentally friendly kind of packaging and stuff like that
1: mm, Interesting. which I think
0: is something magazines could do more of generally because um, yeah. a lot of plastic goes into all those mail outs and subscriptions
1: I know especially with sort of women's glossies they're often kind of wrapped in mm. sort of cellophane type thing which Even I imagine in shops, is to you
0: buy them sometimes with a they're packaged with something but it's a great big plastic wrapper and stuff
1: is that because there's two magazines in one which is often the case mm-hmm. or is that because they don't want you reading it in the shop they want you to buy it
0: I think it's just to package it together. I mean, we, we, we know we have, sometimes there, there are magazines here at, at the MagCulture shop and it's, the, the reality, certainly in our environment, the reality is if, if something's bagged in a bag, it's really annoying because it stops people browsing. I mean, I don't think they do it deliberately to stop people browsing. Mm. But the fact is, it does stop people browsing and it's a real, it stops people, stops people buying. Full stop. It's a bad thing. It's a bad thing in shops. It's, but if it, obviously when you're mailing stuff, you need to put them in packages and it ought to be, at least recyclable. Um, There is this this, um, starch-based packaging that's available. So the Guardian newspaper sends all their their subscription issues out and that, and more and more magazines are doing it. But I was talking to our friends at Park Communications, the printers, they they, they offer it, but it's considerably more expensive as an option Uh, as well, of course. I mean, that's the issue. So until I mean, yeah. there's a major take-up of it, and it becomes much more normal.
1: And what would the alternative be? Sort of paper, but then you couldn't see what's inside. So it's yes, kind exactly. of, there are aren't really that which, many. Um,
0: which should be more expensive, I think. I mean, those really thin plastic wrappers are just probably dirt cheap, but they're just really irresponsible.
1: Yeah. Mm, tricky. One to think about, though. Yes. And what else is coming up? In autumn, we've got the and London. Then, so, yeah,
0: so we're quiet now, but we're planning into the autumn. We've got lots happening in September. So there's the... The pop up will be popping up at the London Art Book Fair from the 5th to 8th of September. Not only have we got the pop up shop, but we've, we've got the, um, it's the second year we've done this with our friends at the Whitechapel Gallery. There's the Mag Culture Quarter, which is a whole set of tables. So, part of the book fair will be a magazine fair, which will be hosted and run by us. It's the Mag Culture Quarter. So, that will be there. And we've got a series of talks. So, we'll, we'll, most of the magazines that are going to be um, selling there. Uh, whereas on their tables we'll also have a chance to do a little talk about the magazine cool and, um,
1: who's going to be speaking do you know yet
0: so among those with tables who'll be speaking are uh, It's Freezing in LA, Contra, Sabbat, uh, the Kids Magazine or Uh looking forward to OOF, uh, the, the editor of OOF Magazine the art and football magazine will be talking so there's, there's a wide range Every, each one of them will present their magazine and very briefly as a sort of like a, a quick mix bang bang bang
1: yeah it sounds great
0: so looking forward to that. So that's the art book fair. And then a little later on, this, the pop-up will be in Edinburgh at MAGFest on the 20th of September. And then rolling a bit forward, further forward, there's Mag, uh, MAG Culture Live yes. in November, which we're still busy with. So um, lots in the planning. It's all there to happen. The one thing that is continuing into uh, through August and September is, is our podcast. And here we are.
1: Here we here are. Here we are.
0: Meanwhile, I've got an update from the last episode of the podcast. You might remember we were talking and admiring the Pickle Magazine Club Sandwich Anna Brujan, who makes the magazine, came into the shop shortly afterwards and clarified a couple of things. Um, I asked her to explain a little bit more about the magazine and tell us a bit more about what else she's up to.
2: Club Sandwich is a magazine on food, but I didn't realise that people would think that the ingredients we were going to talk about would be the ingredients you can find in a sandwich. It's actually a really good idea. We didn't think about that when we came up with the name. Uh, we choose ingredients rather kind of randomly. The first issue was the egg because it made sense. It's like the birth of something. And then we moved on to the mushroom and then the pickle. So it is things you could put in a sandwich. I guess everything is good with bread, but no, that's not really what the magazine is about. When I'm not doing the magazine, I'm an artist. I work on different things. Uh, I studied photography, but I also do books, installations. I work with sound and videos. Right now, I'm working on a new project that it's actually a cannibalism project. Uh, I love cooking books and I collect them. So right now, I'm doing a cooking book for how to cook your friends, how to cook your loved ones. It's going to be pictures uh, that you could find in a cookbook, but if you look closely, you can actually see brains and stomachs, and I'll explain to you how to cook them properly to be able to have a feast. For Club Sandwich, we're working on two new editions. One is going to be actually a, a special edition, like a shorter one about uh, food Baskets, footballs uh, that you could find in old paintings. So, we're going to go back to art history and see also how it translates to contemporary artists. And the next proper issue would be on chocolate, and that would be for Easter, hopefully.
1: Thank you, Anna. Very much looking forward to the chocolate issue. And yeah, thanks for correcting us when we thought your magazine was about sandwiches when actually it was just about food in general. Other new magazines? Uh, Hers was new.
0: There's well, there's the new gym class. Yes, exactly. Which we've been having a look through. It's different again. They change it. Stephen Greger, who makes it, shifts it around every every issue, it seems.
1: Yeah, this is uh, this is really interesting. This is um kind of a very slim, floppy. Very standard paper, black and white zine, I suppose. Yeah. And on the front is an illustration of a man with an enormous torso and a beard and a buzz cut. With, he's covered in tattoos of famous magazines' logos. And it's actually an amazing issue, probably one of my favourites. It's This issue is called the Autumn Winter Issue. Uh, Wintour aka Anna Wintour and there's just loads of really interesting features one of them asked 25 magazine makers about their favorite podcasts there's a nice feature about best magazine covers which includes the New York Times magazines what happened to Air France there is an excellent feature in which big magazine people select their favorite magazine cover from history and Marissa Burke who's creative director of LUK, UK uh, or was in between 2004 and 2012, it says, has picked this amazing Elle magazine cover from June 2010, which is a very, very paired back cover with just the masthead. And then this very blurry image, which if you kind of squint your eyes, you can see as Kylie Minogue. And it says in small letters, Kylie come into my world. And she says about this cover, the blur was achieved in camera. It was an accident when focusing on the day, but we noticed it when editing later and kind of loved it. It was shot by David Sleeper, one of my favourite photographers. He has a great positive sensibility shooting, women in particular, I think. And this cover was one of a few I presented to the editor, Lorraine Candy, as an option for our subscriber cover. She loved it too and decided we could run it. I mean, there's just loads of really great stuff and it's just full of exciting illustration and it's written in this very kind of, um, sort of, don't know. It's just kind of. It's just as Stephen is as a person. It's so enthusiastic and it's so interesting and it's nice because for, for me, it, it. A lot of the time, we look at um, magazines that are so full of long form writing, and actually, this you can just digest it. Everything's kind of like a hundred words here, fifty words there, and that's just a really. I just quite enjoy that. Actually, yeah. it's a bit of a, a bit of light relief, yeah. and also it's nice but- to see loads of names of people who make magazines inside this, mag- inside this magazine and just think that, you know, we, we know quite a lot of them now and it's just, it's cool to see. It's almost like having all your friends in one publication yeah, well, and it, it feels um, nice.
0: Yeah, his passion just comes through on every page. He's really obsessed about uh, uh, about magazines in, in a really positive way. As we are, we share a lot of the same love, as you say. And I think this, he's settled on the right format for it. But let's, let's we spoke to him to, to explain a little bit more about that format.
3: Returning to a zine Type Vibe with this new issue of Jin Class was really a no-brainer for me. Keeping the cover price as low as possible was a real priority at the outset. When I first sat down to start making this issue, it was like, okay, how I want to keep the cover price as low as possible, and what do I have to do to do that? What that means physically for the issue is it's 32 pages, it's got a self-cover, it's printed one color black, it's black and white. Uh, It's printed on 70 GSM paper, which is the lightest paper the the printer Buxton Press here in the UK would comfortably work on. Designing the issue, it was a priority for me that the issue didn't look too slick. I actually sent myself a brief that the issue needs to look like a well-designed Boy Scouts newsletter. And um, (laughs) I I think it... Well, hopefully it does. I think it does. Of course, it's very easy to make things look good when I'm using commercial type, typefaces. And I've once again, with this issue, partnered with commercial type and have worked with their typefaces exclusively. So, um, you know, they do all the heavy lifting when it comes to uh, achieving the, the, the benchmark that is a well-designed <laughs> Boy Scouts newsletter. I have, for the first time with this new issue, collaborated with the illustrator Jason Ford, who is represented by Hard Agency here in London. And Jason illustrated the whole issue cover to cover. He's created an illustration for every article in the issue. And uh, I think what readers will, uh, well, I hope readers discover with this new issue is that there's a real return to that vintage tongue-in-cheek doesn't take itself too seriously a bit of a piss take tone of voice that i think jim class was once known for so there's a real return to that tone of voice and i think jason's illustrations um i think i think they suit that perfectly
0: uh, thanks, Stephen, for talking about the new issue there. It's, as I said, it was um, it's interesting that he's found this format. It does feel, I mean, this is issue number 17. I think almost every issue of his magazine has just changed format in one way or the other. And the last one was quite big and glossy uh, and was trying to do something far more conceptual. And I think this, this comes back to the, the heart of what he's about and what he's doing. So I'm looking forward to, I, I'd like to see him settle on this and just make, the zine about magazines that he should always be making.
1: I totally agree. I think this is his, his best yet. And also to get to issue 17 is just remarkable. Well done, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. Very well done. Uh, what else have we got? Um, should we go on to Bellissimo?
0: Bellissimo. yes. Bellissimo it's summer holiday magazine. time and this is a holiday magazine.
1: Yeah, it looks, to me it reminds me of a kind of uh, beachside Italian cafe. It's bright yellow. It's got kind of different colors typefaces shoved all over it it's kind of lots of signage it's loud it's
0: very hello magazine how would sense. you how
1: would you describe it jeremy uh, uh
0: well i think it's it's a little bit buffalo zine it's sort of pastiching what you described in terms of the holiday experience of postcards and the old-fashioned nostalgic holiday experience of postcards there's of fading sun of the evenings after a long day in the beach naked torsos i mean met people hanging around the beach kids under showers it's sort of it's a sort of concept piece. I don't, I've no idea whether there's going to be a second issue, whether it, <laughs> it, whether it can cope with a second issue. But for now, it's a really I find it very very amusing and funny and a, and a great diversion.
1: There is a lot of semi-naked people in this magazine just hanging out on the beach. You can almost yeah, hear but, the beach. Yeah, but when but the beach what's important it.
0: about it? But the, the, but it's not it's not sort of super glamorous, sexy people. It's no. it's just people on the beach. <laughs> I mean. So it's a subtle definition.
1: Yeah, it's amazing they got away with photographing so many people just on the beach, relaxing. If someone tried to take a picture of me when I was on the beach, I'd be pretty pretty angry about that. But it's very kind of Italo, disco, big, bold colours, and the colour of sort of like lilos and things. It's kind of retro. It, Yeah, as Jeremy says, it's kind of similar aesthetic to the Buffalo Zine holiday issue. And it's is kind of confusing, because although it's just kind of pictures of holidays, and, and you understand it from that perspective, I was a bit confused as to what like why they've made it and inside it says bellissimo is a project dedicated to glorifying the understated it's about people and where they feel they belong it's often about a place you were not thinking to visit anytime soon and probably you never will bellissimo is apolitical porn free and dubiously reliable it's fun and refreshing so that's that i mean does it work as a magazine
0: well, as I say, I think as as, as, a, one, as a single issue it does, but the, what do you do next? I, I've no idea whether it's going to go to a different holiday resort for volume two or whether it's going to do something completely different. But in the end, I'm glad it's there.
1: Yeah, and I hope I'm they glad carry it's on.
0: There. Yeah, on a very different tack, but uh, from an equally um, potentially glamorous place, Beirut in Lebanon, comes Safar Journal. Uh, but it's a very different approach to, to, to the local culture. Um, coming from the Middle East, there's a lot of... Uh, it's, it's published both in Arabic and English, which is a challenge in its own in its own right. It actually shares a lot of the colours of, of Bellissimo in that it's very yellow and very red. There's some fantastic. I mean, it's, it's celebrating the visual culture of Lebanon, but perhaps at the heart of it is one particular story, which is um, about local drag queens. Uh, so, a fantastic set of images which accompany. Us, uh, it's actually an interview with uh, Ru Paul of all people pops up in there, but the pictures are. Bold, black and white, full page photo reportage of local drag queens, but a lot of the individuals concerned, once the, the, it was going into publication, were really concerned to be portrayed because in in that world, that environment, and that kind of uh, the the liberty to be a drag queen is very limited. And so, whilst you can perform and act and do and, and be like that to actually be photographed and published, is is, a, is a, actually quite a dangerous situation. So they wanted to be they wanted to censor it, but the magazine got around that. By, t- by getting the, the people concerned to agree to a series of pictures and then sticking those pictures, physically sticking them over the printed magazine.
1: Yeah, it must have taken them a long Which time. Might, yeah,
0: it must have. Have um, you ever
1: seen that happen before? People just censoring magazines by just putting stickers over the top of stuff?
0: Well, it happens a lot further into the Middle East, in kind terms of uh, a lot of the kind of, um, I mean, Saudi and obviously more, far more uh, censor, censorious environments where uh, western magazines will have whole sections uh marked out with marker pen or or pages ripped up and stuff wow um so you know people receive a magazine and if there's a piece something that needs to be censored some a, ma- a guy will have sat in the censor's office and, and actually blacked out that paragraph of text or no ripped way. out that picture. I mean, actually, it's almost, I mean, it's, it's, we, we spoke to one of the uh, the editors of the magazine who just kind of explained a little bit more of the context of, of what had happened. And you can read that on the journal. But in a sense, it's, it's sort of almost stronger for the fact that they've done this rather than not published it. It makes the point about censorship by the fact that they printed them and then covered them up.
1: Yeah, it's very clever you know, in that it's, way. So
0: it's almost becomes a, it almost becomes a conceptual piece in its own right that tells the story far more interestingly than if they'd had to just say, oh, sorry, we had a story we couldn't print.
1: It's a really, really interesting magazine. I, it's the first thing I saw when I when I came into the shop and just looked at all the new mm. issues. Like the cover is just... Um, the cover is a guy standing in front of it, it's a... Uh,
0: it's Maurizio Catalan, the artist. Is it? Yeah. Oh. Uh, I think, I think. And then there's... Uh, as I say, it's in Arabic too, so the back cover has, that's the way in for the Arabic. Oh. has a different picture. Yeah,
1: absolutely amazing. Very impressive magazine, visually. Uh, I haven't actually had a chance to read it yet. There's there's
0: beautiful kind of, uh, the the theme is nostalgia, so there is also, as well as the the photography um, reportage story I mentioned, there's just great examples of Um, Lebanese film posters from the 50s extraordinary kind of mixes of of Eastern and Western culture really stunning illustration and beautiful typography it's really exciting.
1: Cool and well with a censorship theme leads us to segue nicely onto our next magazine do you say De Grief or De Greif?
0: Greif. De De, De De Greif. Greif.
1: What What is De Greif?
0: De Greif is a German photography magazine that's been around I think that we're, uh, the particular issue we're looking at is the 12th issue it's always looked beyond just pure photography into ish, some of the issues of, sort of censorship and meaning and contextualization of photography around the sort of things that we're talking about but this particular issue has caught our eye because of the strength and the power of, of not just the imagery but the sort of story that goes behind it.
1: Yeah it's absolutely kind of Well, for me, it's it's one of the first magazines that I've been carrying around in my bag and just showing to people Mm -hmm. because I feel like if if maybe you're not really into magazines and you want to understand what kind of extraordinary things are being created, this is kind of a really good one-liner on that. It's just a great idea executed well and is absolutely. I mean, it stays with you, and not not many magazines can really do that. Rather than me trying to sort of candidly explain this issue of. De Grife, I'm going to read from um, the kind of, what's that bit called? The leaf? Uh, inside, the introduction inside the magazine and it says, as guest editors of issue 12 of De Greif, Broomberg and Shanarin sent out a call for images that are too private, too quiet, too violent, too political, too subversive or too explicit to share online. They received an avalanche of submissions. Many were explicitly sexual, but just as many were the opposite. Remarkably quiet images of everyday life. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Faced with the daunting task of editing the material, they turned to a disgruntled former Facebook employee who will remain anonymous. Content moderators are human arbitrators used by online platforms alongside computer algorithms to censor content. They are the front line of in a war in a war of images and endure videos of beheadings, rapes, child molestation and other forms of violence on an hourly basis. Broomberg and Shannon outsourced their role as editors to their content moderator, but decided to include both the good and the bad, only available in print. So... What you have after you read that, which is, you know, pretty pretty intense, is a magazine split into two halves, one upside down, one the right way up, and some images are labelled good and some images are labelled bad, which have been curated by this, con- this Facebook ex-content moderator, and you just get to see the... I mean, these images are obviously sent in by photographers from all over the world, so they're not really the kind of images that I, I imagine the content moderator was seeing on a day-to-day basis, but they are... Very, um, some of the images are of breastfeeding, not troublesome at all. Some of the images are of sex, not that troublesome. Some are of dead bodies, some are of someone, I don't know, trimming their pubes. There's quite a lot going on, but basically, the content moderator has said whether that would pass or not to go online, and it's just kind of, I mean, it's just an extraordinary assault of imagery, really. And it's really, really challenging,
0: isn't it? I think, I mean, that's. You were talking about showing it to friends who were quite upset by it.
1: Well, I had it in my bag, and I was just kind of... Because I was reading it, uh, because underneath a lot of the images, you get excerpts from the interview with the content moderator. um, And it's just uh, the content moderator talking about what it's like to work Mm -hmm. at Facebook and to have this job, and how some of his colleagues had kept on requesting to switch jobs because they couldn't handle it, and how... The moderator I think I think it's a man um was getting um incredibly physically ill from just doing that job because it's just a horrific thing to have to do day in day out but just in terms of a magazine, this is kind of the sort of thing that I can imagine as a feature in design magazine but rather than it being a small magazine feature it's just a whole issue and it just you just learn so much in such a short space of time and you're confronted with things that you probably didn't ever really want to see but It's kind of done in a way that just makes you really think that the stuff we see online and the censorship and all that kind of thing is is actually much more controlled than we maybe originally thought and that it's someone's job to actually kind of look at images and and choose whether we see them or not which is just fascinating so that's why i've been i've been showing some people Mm -hmm. i know just because i think that if you you know you, you might not know too much about independent magazines but you might see this and think that is just as an idea executed well that's just i don't know, it's kind of got it all i just think it's absolutely fascinating and yeah i'm pleased to have to have come across it really
0: it is an extraordinary issue and it, as i said it's it's very it's very challenging and i think everything you said i mean it's it, it 's one of those magazines that really reminds you of the power of magazines, and to put it in some context, I think you know we, um, it 's the magazine that went out uh, this month 's stack delivery yeah and and uh, you know in terms of censorship and making decisions about how you distribute something and how you share it with people, Steve Watson, who runs stack, had to make some quite complicated decisions around that, and we spoke to him about the decision process he made in terms of how he was going to include that issue of degreif in the stack delivery system
4: we sent out the latest issue of degreif as our august magazine for stack subscribers uh, and it was without doubt the most difficult and most stressful delivery we've ever done um, i really love degreif and i've been working to send them out on stack for the last couple of years but um, when i saw this latest issue i knew that we just wouldn't be able to send it out as a surprise magazine of course we always want to send our subscribers and expected things that they might not pick up for themselves. But I think in this case, the imagery was just so graphic and potentially offensive that I think there's actually an important issue of consent with it. I think that it's one thing to be presented with extremely challenging material if you've opted into seeing it, but I actually thought it would be irresponsible um, for us to deliver it and um, in the same way that we would do just any other magazine. But then for all that, I knew that there are lots of our subscribers who would definitely want to get hold of it. So that's why we decided to contact all of our subscribers and for the first time ever tell them what we were going to be sending them. So basically, we explained um, what the magazine was all about, and you had to click a button to specifically request the explicit version. And we worked with a team at DeGreif to get hold of recent back issues. So the idea was that you could either choose the explicit one, a back issue, or something else altogether. Um, And if we didn't hear back from you, then we sent out a back issue. Um, We started the process of contacting people at the start of last month, um, and we got a totally amazing response. I think that about 76% of respondents to our first email asked for the explicit version. Um, And along with that, we got loads of messages from people thanking us for taking so much trouble over it and being so open about the whole thing. I think that Overall, in the end, it was roughly half and half between people getting the explicit version or the back issue, um, and almost nobody said that they wanted to be sent something else altogether. And the most common thing we've heard from people since the delivery went out is that they hadn't seen our messages and they wish they'd asked for the explicit version.
1: So when I got the email from Steve asking me which one I prefer, I did say to him, "I think I'll prefer. I think I'd prefer to have the one that you think is a bit challenging because I just didn't yeah. know what I." Um I don't know I kind of as it turns out I think majority of people did want they wanted something that was going to challenge them slightly which I think kind of I don't know it depends well, That's
0: reassuring I think
1: I think so but it is it's a weird concept and actually I didn't think it would be as challenging as mm-hmm. what came through the door, but I think he was very right in asking people their permission yeah. because actually I've shown some people this magazine and they just kind of wish I hadn't shown yeah. It to them. Yeah, I, th- I,
0: th- I think it was a responsible thing to do, and yet there's still a part of me thinks that actually, I mean, I want magazines to be challenging. And if and if you're subscribing to a monthly magazine service, then I don't know, should you be expecting just to receive a nice lifestyle magazine each each month? Or, or I mean, if there's a, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm conflicted by it because I. I I want there to be more questioning of stuff and more, more political being expressed in the independent magazine scene, and I want to break down this idea that it's all just pretty lifestyle magazines.
1: Yeah, totally. But I don't think I think if Steve had just sent it out without asking, oh, I don't know. It's hard to yeah. say, isn't it? I don't know.
0: No, I, feel, I, I feel like a I, as lot. As I say, I think in the end he did the responsible and the right thing. But it just there's a question there about censorship in itself, isn't it? I mean, how. I don't know. It's, it's this fascinating thing that he felt he had to do that and he did that. It's reassuring that most people went with the challenge. It would be interesting to know how people have responded since they've had the issue, what they felt about it.
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, definitely worth a look if anyone, um, if anyone can get their hands magazine. on one. Yeah, it's yeah. very exciting and kind of, um, yeah, definitely worth having a look if you can.
0: Another magazine that's recently uh, taken on a very serious subject as the New York Times Magazine, um, with a very a very all-encompassing project that is, um, saw a special issue of the magazine a couple of weekends ago, a supplement in the newspaper, and they're going to be doing a big um, multi-part audio series online um, and, and follow-up stories for the next um, sort of couple of months. It's marking the, the 400th anniversary of the beginning of American slavery, and it examines the way the legacy of slavery continues to shape life in in, in the United States. And it's been hugely controversial for, for reasons. I mean, it's, it's landed in the middle of the, the culture wars that continue in the States, and it's the overall project challenges the idea of what constitutes American and the place that immigration has in the country's history. So it's no wonder that it's being picked up in terms of the culture wars, the, the right wing absolutely dismissing it as an irrelevancy and arguing that it's propaganda whilst a lot of the kind of education establishments of the, of, of the whole country are just grabbing it and loving the idea that there is actually something that gives them a sort of text to teach the true history of their country. Um, it's an extraordinary thing and, it, it, Check it out online. Elsewhere and on a slightly lighter note, uh, the latest issue of Ion Design, the what is it, the fifth? Yeah, the fifth issue, which is themed distraction, is another fine issue. But the one, there's one story in it that I just wanted to highlight, and that's a, uh, a nice little piece about Flair magazine, which is a 50s magazine, which is very flamboyant in its presentation, used lots of production techniques and sort of uh, embossing and cutouts and die cuts and, and, and extra bits tipped in and stuff. And it's all. It's often, it's a very, very popular magazine. There were only 12 issues, I think, it's just one year's worth. Um, but it's very popular for people to collect and it's held with great regard for its creativity and everything. But what the what, what the piece in iron design just reveals is that across those 12 issues, it lost $2.5 million, <laughs> um, which it apparently is $26 million in today's money. So anybody Gosh. that kind of looks back to the 50s and thinks, oh, it was great. It's so easy <laughs> to make, fantastic, fabulous magazines and make lots of money not so simple not so simple
1: yeah i can't wait to read that it looks really good
0: yeah that's a uh, yeah uh, it's worth i've got I've, I've got some copies of that maybe we need to have a look at that under back issue one day but um but talking about money we stay in new york it's bit, so we're all very american centric at the moment but uh we stay in new york and um a final section of one of the events we held at mag 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 at vitsu early this year when we were out there is a conversation about the business uh, side of publishing. It's uh, two sports publishers. It's Rob Hewitt, who recently launched Oh So, the magazine about, um, and for uh, female skateboarders, and Caitlin Thompson, who's the publisher of Racket, the tennis magazine. And here they they talk brand relationships uh, in in that sporting market. I have a sense that the brands are desperate to work with people that are authentic and doing something genuine. And there's a desert of the regular content providers, the regular publishers, aren't doing it right. And as yeah. soon as they meet you guys, they I it think just for, clicks. Yeah. for
5: skateboarding, um, and sorry, to interrupt. Uh, part of the appeal is uh, just kind of come, you know, just kind of come along with this magazine and pitch a big company, and they're like this sort of um, sells itself through the lens of the of the true skate culture, which is mm-hmm. DIY uh, DIY skate culture, and you yeah. just kind of. You do stuff to make it happen, and it's back to you know like design and the state of design. If you if you want to feel like you're contributing to design right now, editorially, journalistically as well, I think you know the game is you can just start start and and do it like pick up mm-hmm. and, and do something.
6: I also think um, for me anyway, we I think we're in a pretty good position because we have more brands who want to work with us than we want to work with. Um, yes, yeah, and. Funny. There's a couple things that I would say, one of which is a huge dis- to make a huge distinction between working with brands and having advertising in our mm-hmm. magazine. Those are two sort of different conceits. We are still quite small. Our circulation is quite small. We'd like it to grow, but the ceiling for any of these magazines is probably under 100000 That's mm-hmm. fine if you have a direct relationship with your reader. They're paying you directly because they like what... The world in which you're immersing them. And I think that that's like the value proposition, right? Um, You know, these titles probably all cost somewhere around $15 to $20 US, and you you know what you're getting. You're getting something really highly curated and highly designed and highly, um, you know, lovingly put together. Um, And if you have any sort of brand interaction in there, one hopes that it's served up to you with the same sort of curatorial eye that has brought you the rest of the editorial content. It's not totally true, but it's usually true. and then if you do that, you have the freedom to say, okay, well, I'm not gonna sell you an ad, so don't buy one. But if you'd like us to de- design something for you, if it's a good fit for mm-hmm. us, if it feels like it's native to our world, of course we'll do it because it's fun for us. And that's yeah. a nice yeah. way to opt in. And so to get to the business sort of side of this a little bit, you know, e-commerce is still our big biggest driver of revenue. We find that people discover our magazine and then they go on our site and buy maybe a subscription, but more often issue nine, and then eight, seven, six, five, four, in mm-hmm. a t-shirt and a poster. Uh-huh. And that's a great
0: yeah.
6: way to sort of continue to build steam through the years because you have a bigger and bigger catalog, and these issues really don't age. They don't for us, and I would probably wager that they don't age yeah, for, they don't, for most yeah. of us, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and that's how, that's part all. of it is sponsorship, part of it is sort yeah. of how you leverage your e-commerce mm-hmm. to sort of, you know, whatever your commercial experience, retail experience is. How how you leverage it with your sort of micro community I think is more important than um, you know than reaching some sort of mass um, mass size mm. and I think again when a brand enters our world and I'm sure this is true of you too like we are only going to transact on it if it feels authentic and we can actually
0: deliver on the conceit. Have you, have you had a situation where you've had to cut off the relationship? I mean, it, does it always go smoothly? Or
6: No, we've certainly we, we've we tried to manage expectations in terms of what we can do. I also think um, uh, we, ha- we try to sort of say, like, we're good at storytelling because we're actual journalists. Most of the time when you work with a creative agency, you're working with someone who is doing a bad version of one of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so realistically, you might as well just come to the source and not get eight layers of pricing and you know, junior creative agency assistants scheduling meetings, and having conference calls all the time, you know? They can deal directly with you, they can deal directly with me. Um, But yeah, sometimes we've had to say like, oh, actually we can't throw you a $400,000 event. That's not gonna work. It's not gonna be good, you guys, if you wanna hire influencers to take selfies in your clothing, like, I'm not gonna stop you, but like, (laughs) that's whatever you want. We gave you a beautiful print. Magazine to accompany our issue, and it went out to all of our magazine stores and our subscribers. So I think we try to be realistic about what we can deliver on really well, mm-hmm. and hope that nobody's sort of feelings get hurt.
0: So I sense you're both talking about building a kind of niche audience and a committed niche audience. How much react? I mean, how much do you hear back from them in terms of what they think? Do- do they feedback? Do you Quite hear? Quite a bit. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. not sure. Yeah, they um, they let you know
5: what they think, yeah, okay. which is great. And it's also um, just you know the people who enjoy skateboarding um, let you know what you what they think. Uh-huh. I mean, one of the best sort of I was actually talking to someone the other day. Um, one of the best rewards from this is one of the skateboarders that was featured in issue one, uh, Brazilian, incredibly talented, no recognition, not on the radar, and she just emailed and said you know, thanks so much for the coverage, I'm going to take this and show it to my mom and it'll make her feel so proud of me. And it was like, that was like, that's sort of the beauty of this journey. Like you're reaching out to these girls who are struggling first and foremost, just every day with what they do. And then the fact that they're skateboarders is another layer to it and their parents are like, yeah, what are you going to do with your life? Um, But it's something they enjoy. And then, you know, they are so talented and creative in their endeavors, and then, you know, you get a response like that, it's like.
0: Yeah, makes it worthwhile. Yeah, there's something like, wow, there's a there's a reason for it to all gel like that. Um, and what about pret- I mean, negative criticism? I mean, if you, if you had a response. I yes, know.
5: I did have, um, actually, halfway through issue one, um, I had a, a really hardcore skateboarder on the West Coast um, kind of relay through a photographer that I shouldn't be doing the magazine because I'm a guy, hmm. and I, I that is uh-huh. a very valid and important point, and I definitely respected that point. But again, um, for me, it was it's this isn't about me. I'm just I just happen to be able to utilize this random skill set that I have and this opportunity that sort of presented itself, this muse that arrived and Mm -hmm. just kind of went with Mm -hmm. wanting to actually help someone like that and tell their story. So I think, you know, being stubborn and passionate is something that propels us and you kind of just take the good Mm -hmm. and the bad and you just kind of believe in the process and Mm -hmm. hope that the outcome is somewhat.
6: Yeah, sure. I also (laughs) think like if somebody else wanted to make a magazine,
5: yeah, yeah,
6: and th- and off. and, Try and, it. and again, yeah.
5: yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and to, to the point of Thrasher, which we talked about early on, I'm very adamant about the fact. To all the girls that I, you know, asked to do something with, the I'm not Thrasher. I'm not trying to be Thrasher. I actually don't really care about the tricks that much mm-hmm. because that's what Thrasher does and you know the idea of the magazine in general like the underlying philosophy is to actually slow down the process of skateboarding to get to know the person who is skateboarding opposed to the the trick that they're they're doing. We know they can do the tricks because as soon as they do the trick and they land the trick and master the trick, they put it on Instagram and it's a yeah. story. Or they put it on YouTube or their Facebook page. Yeah. And for for me it's like you've got that covered, but like that's, that's where it belongs. That's yeah, yeah that's your yeah, branding. Yeah. But no one's really documenting it outside mm-hmm. of those weird forums. Yeah. So this is an opportunity to actually talk to you and get mm-hmm. your Well
6: I do think that's like a recurring theme for us. And you know, I'm happy to answer the question about criticism if it's useful, but I think one of the things that helped us early on is having the permission not not to do things, and so a lot of people. We had a meeting early on with one of the like towering figures of New York City magazine journalism, mm-hmm. who I studied in college actually. His name's David Granger, and he ran Esquire mm-hmm. for 18 yeah, yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of randomly wrote him. Dave got his email through a friend, and he sat down with us, and he said, "You know, all I can really tell you guys is." just be weird and don't ever like take don't take on anyone else's conceit of what you should be doing and I think like Mm -hmm. more than anything else that's been our sort of through line a lot of people see our magazine and think like oh there's a sort of throwback cover this must be a sort of archival sentimental historical dive or Oh, they do, you know, stuff that's sort of like neon and youth culture. This must be like a hipster magazine. And, you know, my job, I don't think as a publisher, is to correct them in any way, to just say like, no, no, this is the combination of things that you get in the package that you get four times a year. And by all means, I'd love if there was another good tennis magazine. So sure, like if you you want to take it in a different direction, like by all means, there's room for it. But knowing what we don't want to be, I think, is mm-hmm. as useful as what we do. It also helps with those sort of brand conversations yeah. where if somebody says, oh, yeah, we want you to throw a giant party. It's like, well, I, why, that, why? Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> like we'll make all the posters for the party. I don't know. We'll do something yeah. else that's cool, yeah. that feels more us. Because right. the second we try to turn around and give it to somebody else who's already in our tribe, they'll sense that it's not authentic,
0: Yeah, yeah. you know? So a big thank you to, to Rob and Caitlin for letting us uh, publish that and to our host, FITSU, um, where we held um, that event from which we selected that little excerpt.
1: Yes, very interesting and very important to talk about the money as well as the ideas.
0: London Printers Park Communications are a key part of the independent publishing scene, helping ambitious magazine makers make their dreams a reality, both in the UK and the US. Park offer a wide range of services to make your magazine stand out in a shop like MagCulture. As well as supporting this podcast, Park are a regular part of our annual conference MagCulture Live where their shelves of magazine samples always attract plenty of attention. Just like MagCulture, Park Communications love magazines and we're proud to have them as partners.
1: Now it's time for the back issue. What do we have this month?
0: I have picked up Spy magazine Um what is that? So this was a magazine that lasted from 1986 to 1998 in New York. It was one of, this was a kind of boom time for New York magazines. There were loads of city magazines. We know them. We know The New Yorker. We know New York. But then there was Village Voice and, and a whole range of other ones, Seven Days. Uh, and Spy was a, a, a very brave, challenging new launch. It, it, you know, It was independent in the sense that it was self-published, but it was very much... A glossy it, it published into the mainstream to be a big successful magazine it uh, was founded by Graydon Carter who went on to edit Vanity Fair uh, and Kurt Anderson who's a renowned um, biographer and uh, commentator on the media but it was a it was a a, a a satirical magazine. And the, the, the copy we're looking at here is, uh, it, it has, it's just after a very famous Vanity Fair cover that had Demi Moore mm. pregnant and naked on the front cover. But
1: this is Bruce Willis, isn't yes, it? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure Bruce Willis and Demi they, they were, were together yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah. So this cover shows um, very well photoshopped for the time uh, Bruce Willis's head on a yeah. pregnant body. Pregnant man's body, I would say. Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, yeah they, they pieced it together well. <laughs> Very young Bruce Willis. But anyway, so that, so it was notable for a number of reasons. I mean, it, it when it first started, it absolutely tore into the great and good of the city. It mercilessly mocked the likes of Donald, Donald Trump before anyone really outside of New, New York knew who he was. He was simply That's then good. just a kind of slightly failed um, property tycoon in New York was also notable for its distinctive art direction and design he, a whole range i mean i think this is this the era when he had the lights of tibor kalman and stephen doyle who, who, who did some work on the magazine but there's probably um, under alexander I, isley and uh, the wonderfully named bw honeycutt who kind of devised <laughs> the whole kind of visual sense uh in particular the use of cut out faces dropped into text to illustrate gossip um, and it's been a hugely influential sort of uh, look for magazines ever since not least in New York magazine then later when Graydon Carter became editor of a vanity fair That look went with them, but they also had fantastic journalism I mean that Particular piece is fantastic this, this they went back to the the w- weddings page of one edition of the New York Times and then tracked down all those people that got married in that list and went to found out how life had been.
1: It's such a good idea. That's like the dream magazine yeah. feature. It's called Till Death or Irrecon- Irreconcilable Differences Do Us Part. It's so good. That's such a funny idea. There's so many couples in here. And
0: they found them all and they talked to them all. And, and they talk you know- about
1: what wedding gifts, the status of wedding gifts. We split them up. That's when they had divor- they got divorced. Status of wedding gifts. They still use a double sleeping bag that zips together. So good. <laughs> how many children they've got. The photo that ran. Also, importantly, why... These people were in the initial magazine. Was it New York Times mm, yeah, magazine? Yeah. Because a lot of them are kind of society people. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And so they, it's like they, what they were yeah, doing now, what yeah, they're doing yeah. then, and yeah, it's that's that's so cool.
0: And here we have the origins of things like uh, Heat magazine, Circle of Shame. Here we um, here we have uh, the party poop, which was the, the the paparazzi pictures that no one would publish. <laughs> uh where where the where you can see people's knickers and you can and they're all highlighted by big red arrows. So this you know, this magazine not only did it have a huge influence on art direction and creation of magazines, it's also editorially ideas like that that have echoed through the through the ages into uh, into the gossip magazines. That yeah,
1: and it's got that really the way it's written and the way it's laid out, it's got that really kind of naughty, rye yeah. look that um the what's it called, that feature that we like, the um
0: the, ma- the approval matrix. The approval yeah, matrix. Absolutely. It's a bit like absolutely. that. It's
1: kind of a little bit. It's got a bit of a cheeky wink behind it, and it's slightly satirical. Yeah. it's great. Yeah, this is like right up my street. And Love then, it.
0: and then to sort of sum it up, I mean, in terms of it being a kind of a reference point for anybody that might think they're in it, each issue at the back they have an index, so you can quickly find out
1: and see if you're in whether it.
0: you're in it. Which is <gasps> just such a genius a good idea. idea. Fantastic idea. idea. We just, you have index in books, why not have an index in your magazine so you can quickly there's through? There's something
1: nice to think about famous people kind of like hurriedly flicking through magazines and to see if they're in it.
0: There's, uh, there's a fantastic book called Spy the Funny Years, which sort of sums up and it's, it's a little bit self-congratulatory because it's written by the people that made the magazine. But there's some great insights in there about how, for instance, clearly Donald Trump was looking through the index every time and yeah, as soon as he had a reference he would kick off a, a lawyer's letter <laughs> um,
1: before he was tweeting yeah. yes exactly yeah that's that's really great that's such a good one thank you for introducing that
0: uh,
1: and that's all we've got time for I think
0: I think it is so we'll see you next there. time see you next time